Welcome to the Silicon Slopes Conversations. This week we're here with Ben Peterson, who is the CEO of Blue Raven Solar. How are you? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. And thank you all for being here. I know it's Memorial Day. Hopefully everyone's got some good plans. Sounds like we're all pretty excited for Top Gun. Be cool if we could all go watch that this afternoon. Yeah. There you go. Going tonight. All righty. Um, I'm excited to do this because um, you were here about a year ago. Yeah. And it looks like the world changes a lot in the years, we've all seen. But it's changed a little bit for Blue Raven, and we'll get to that. Also, we will open it up for questions from the audience. So towards the end, if we don't cover anything, that'll be your guys' time to chat. Um, so yeah, you're here a year ago. We talked about a lot of really cool things. We'll hit on a few of those. But um, let's do a quick, your background, how you got involved with Blue Raven, and what is Blue Raven? That's great. Thanks all for coming today. I hope I can say something of interest to, to all of you. My name is Ben Peterson, uh, CEO of Blue Raven Solar. Background is I, I never grew up thinking I would be in renewable energy. Um, I was just a regular old kiddo with no clue what to do. And uh, lived, I, I'm a Utah native. I love Utah. What a great place this is. Went to middle school and high school here. Left for school and work on both coasts for a bit and came back uh, to Blue Raven. At the time, um, it was just a couple of brothers who had an idea, um, great guys, and I met them. I'm happy to go into detail there, but they, they were like, hey, we think this is an opportunity. We're really good at the sales motion, but we're not really sure how to do the rest. And I was um, arrogant enough to think I could figure out the rest and help with the rest, and so that was the, the early marriage that was in 2015 at the time. And so since then, it's just been a journey of growing and building a, a company. Very cool. And so a lot of folks are familiar with solar. Uh, hopefully folks have it on their house or their office complex. But um, in a nutshell, you guys provide the, the solar, you sell the solar, you service the solar, you explain what it is, how it works, right? Yeah. So may, many of you may already know this, but the way that we consume energy is going to be fundamentally different in the future than it is today. That's just where I start. And if you don't believe me, just pay attention to the world over the next couple of decades. But uh, there is the, uh, basically the electrification of everything is already happening, but you're gonna see that more and more. The reason why solar is so exciting to me is because um, transmitting energy by burning something or producing it centrally and then giving, getting it over the transmission lines is a wonderful way. It's not, we don't wanna do away with that, the grid completely for obvious reasons. But if you think about, it's, it's dirty, it's wasteful, there's loss along the transmission lines. If you've been following the news in California or Texas or elsewhere, there's reliability issues. It's not great for the environment. It's not very efficient. Um, you guys know this probably too, but enough sunlight uh, hits the earth in uh, an hour to power the global energy needs for a year. Our problem is we just can't capture it. And so if you ever like late at night or down the YouTube wormhole and you're just listening to like Elon Musk, I know we've all done that, or others, and you hear him start talking about like, we have an energy problem that we have to solve in the next century. And I think he's right. We have to solve this problem in this century. 
and then of course he's like, and if we also need to figure out interplanetary species things, but I'm a big believer that we have an energy uh, issue today. Um, I'm a big believer in the planet. I love the outdoors. I love clean air. When the clean, when when air is not clean, or when I just see the destruction of oceans and wildlife and forestry, I just am like, what are we doing? This is not sustainable. And so, um, solar panels are a big part of that. Increasingly, it's a much broader ecosystem. So the panels capture the electricity, you know, the sunlight. It's an amazing technology through silicon, and that that um, generates direct current. And then you've got inverters. And more and more, there's microinverters that are on every single panel, and they're optimized, and they convert it to alternating current um, for, for use in your home. And increasingly, you're starting to see battery usage become a big part of this story, hooking up to EV chargers, a whole home solution that then prompts you to say, hey, you should be charging your battery now. You should be using these loads. You should be, you know, sort of this ecosystem. Virtual power plants are becoming a thing now. There's an entire wave of change that is gonna sweep across America in the next 50 years. And frankly, we're kind of behind the world also for reasons that I'm happy to, to moan about here if anyone's interested. But it's pretty exciting to be a part of that conversation at Blue Raven Solar. Yes, and I would agree on all of that. It's just the worst when you see uh, all the potential to have clean air, a clean environment, and it's not happening. Um, I've had a lot of interactions with various groups of people about solar. You've got like the redneck preppers, they're all in on solar. Uh, you've got the environmentalists, the hippies, they're all in, right? And then you have folks that don't care, but they just love the economics of it, yeah. right? So it's, you're selling to a lot of people. It's a, it's a great, it is a great uh, product. Unfortunately, there's still too much red tape in it. Uh, you have to get all kinds of permits, there's all kinds of licenses required, there's all kinds of bureaucracy to go from how do I get panels on my roof. And uh, we're working on some of those solutions behind the scenes and with others, but in other countries, Australia, for so, so in the United States, anybody know what the penetration in the United States is? There's 100 million homes that'll save money from going solar, and about 4 million homes have solar on the roof. So, you know, there's 96 million homes to go, about 4% penetrate. In Australia, penetration is like 25, 30%. Germany, it's like 60%. I mean, we're, we're like really far behind. And that 4% includes places like California, uh, Hawaii, and some other places that are, you know, maybe 10%. But the rest of the country is less than a, you know, 0.2%, less than a percent. So I just look at that and I just say, we've got, we have a responsibility and I, th you know, back to Blue Raven. When you're good at something, what you know, happy to talk about what we think we're good at. But when you're good at something, you have a responsibility. We feel like we have a responsibility to help consumers transition to solar, and not be left with a bad deal, a poor customer experience, products that are outdated, and just kind of this. Generally, in the industry, you see what's going on here. Why, why is this such an early kind of problematic industry? We've tried to bring sanity to the industry by doing a great job every single time. Yeah, and along the, the line, there's the explaining why solar is good, explaining why the benefit would uh, hit their wallet, um, benefit for the environment, all of that. I assume the technology changes at a decent clip. Yeah. How do you guys factor that in and 
put that into the business model? Yeah. So maybe a little bit of history. Um, in about 1990, the price uh, per watt for a solar panel was about $60. In 2020, it was 27 cents. So that makes Moore's law look like slow if you follow kind of computing, because that's, that's insane. And um, it's pretty, pretty amazing, that story. Um, a lot of the production um, and mining and the activity related to that actually happened in Asia and China and other countries. And the United States placed a tariff in 2012 on overseas panels that, be, that was in 2012. That was kind of problematic. I understand the interest to do that. And then in 2021, now we're dealing with this, like, oh, no, is China, are these other countries circumventing those tariffs? And it's interesting because for every 35 cents uh, per watt that a non-U.S. company might benefit uh, per watt for an American to go solar, the solar industry would get uh, $2.30. And so, you know, this, this idea that, you know, we need to protect the, the solar industry with tariffs to me is upside down. Because what we want to do is drive adoption. And if there are less expensive ways of doing that, we need to be all for that so that we can have more adoption. And that's really the big story behind Blue Raven is we've gone to places like Kansas and Kentucky and Nebraska uh, soon and Michigan and Wisconsin and Idaho and places where you don't really find other solar companies. And we found that your average American, uh, by taking out a loan, can substitute a bill that is going up every single year for a fixed payment and begin saving money in their first year and then save money every year thereafter. And then when the panels are paid off, they've got their panels continue to produce electricity and they have no, no monthly payment. Pretty amazing to replace a variable escalating bill that is more with a fixed locked in bill that is less for the future is, is, is pretty amazing. One th other thing I'll mention to you guys, the UBS, um, came out with an estimate I read recently that by 2025, which is not that far away, 20% of all vehicle sales will be electric. And by 2030, 40% will be electric. And by 2050, 60%. And so you've got the, the EV charger ecosystem as more and more consumers want to charge their vehicle or then charge their home with the battery in their vehicle, which is another unbelievably exciting technology development, if you're paying attention to this. Um, that transition to you know, the majority of cars being operated with electricity, with a battery, is going to radically change. You know, Hey, maybe it's time we went solar so that we can charge our car with the electricity that our home is producing. Um, and then use the battery so that we have more reliability and better economics when utility rate when utilities want to charge you for peak demand. That's what happens is they'll charge you really really high rates high high rates in the late afternoon. Yeah. And night. And so I'm not an economist, but um, there's some inflation going on, right? And also inflation. Um, but with uh, solar panels, there could be a micro deflation for that consumer, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, I was trying to figure out the billboard. Maybe you guys can help me out. 
but I haven't figured it out yet. It's something like the sun doesn't know what inflation is or something. I can't quite figure it out. You're going to have to help me, right? But like solar, the price doesn't go up. It just stays the same for the next few decades, whereas everything else is going up. So let's lock that in and get you going solar. I can't figure out how to say that, so I need some help. Well, I'm sure we have some creative folks here, but I like the direction you're going. Yeah. Um, and we, we made this not very funny joke last time. Um, we'll have eight minutes to know that there's no more sun, but then you think it, it'll go for four billion more years. So well, we're, yeah. we're safe. My, the net, one billboard I want to put up is uh, the remaining life of the sun is five billion years. You know, something like that. You know, want job security, right? Get it? This, we're talking billions of years to figure this out, which is our little species. We've got to figure this out before we run out of energy. Yeah. So there's urgency here. Yes, indeed. Um, all right. Let's jump back into Blue Raven. Um, what have you learned over the past year as a CEO? Well, Blue Raven was acquired by SunPower in October of last year. So a lot of what I learned has to do with the lead up to that, the transaction itself, and then managing a team and being a part of a multi-billion dollar public company since October. So I'm happy to go into that as its own uh, lesson of learnings for me. Aside from that, I just keep learning. Um, I've learned a couple of things. One is that no matter what your position is, you can't and nor should you delegate everything. I just keep learning that over and over. You have to hold the pen on one thing a day. And you just have to, you can't just fly in all the time and be like, hey, what's the, what are you guys working on? Okay, that sounds good. That's not good. Feedback. Go to the next thing. You have to say, why don't you send me that? Let me um, suggest some of my edits and spend an hour like applying your brain to the problem itself because then your team will see that and you get a chance to really interact with the problem. I've just found that you can't, you can't really, I can't effectively just hold the team accountable for everything. I have to really be part of the team as well. Uh, even if it's just once a day, being part of the team, solving a problem, I found is really helpful for all kinds of reasons. Um, I've also learned that Everybody in an organization, every single person in, every single person, I think, needs, needs something they're working towards. They need to see how they're progressing. And if you and if I as a leader don't make that explicit or make that a reality, then they're going to they're gonna want to go look for where they can be on that path, that critical path they want to be on. And so institutionalizing that and pulling that off at scale has been something I've been learning about. Yeah. Yeah, we will jump into the acquisition. But um, when you were here last, it was starting to get a little frothy with um, employees bouncing. Yeah. Left and right. Um, how have you and your team tried to combat that? Yeah, it's an interesting job market. I've never seen anything like it. We'll have employees come to us and say, hey, I've got an uh, offer to go work someplace else for you know, a 60% premium. And they're serious. And it's like, wow, what, what, would, 
what would it look like to just increase wages across the board for so many people? And so it's it's hard. I have I have no idea. We're st- we're you know we've we've implemented raises and incentives and um, some retention things, and we've worked to make it a great culture, which I think we have. We were a 2021 Glassdoor best places to work, and we have a really great culture. And our mission really helps us because we've got a lot of people who love the mission. So we have a lot of um, helpful things that I think might be more difficult to connect in some other companies, but it's still really hard. I'm not going to say that we've figured it out. Um, We've also just learned to better recruit um, for your team or your organization. I keep keep coming back to recruiting as uh, such an essential lifeblood. And so there's folks that want to get off the bus and they want to go do the next thing, but there's also a lot of people who want to come to Blue Raven. And our job is to help that. And you know, you th- you think you're doing a good job at it until you realize that maybe you're not. And then it's kind of eye-opening if you're not really doing it the right way. We've learned a lot about recruiting the last year. Yeah. And you as the CEO, um, what is your recruiting methodology? I've seen CEOs that their radar is just always up. Find me a smart person. I don't care where they are, who they are. I'm going to go talk to them. Uh, do you get into the weeds on that? Uh, not with, not on an individual basis typically, because I don't want to skew the decision making. But I do get in the weeds on the, the machine. So what is the process? How do we hunt? How do we fish? You know, these these analogies you use. But how do we get our how do we get our message out there? How do we be responsive? What is that What does that conversation look like? I'm interested in all those details. Gotcha. All right, let's uh, jump into the acquisition. Um, I know people will be interested in this. The courtship, the, the process, the behind the scenes, lift the kimono up a little bit. How did it all unfold? We took a, so the, the, the story starts at the beginning, which is that when I joined the company in 2015, we were losing money and I needed, we needed a runway. So I went and raised capital. We took an investment from a private equity group. And when you do that, when you raise money, the LPs are going to eventually want a return. And so while I knew that, I was always building the company for the long, the long term. Um, and you know, the mantra was, we never take shortcuts. So even though we've, got, we've raised money, we would never take a shortcut. That should, that's totally irrelevant. But you know, year one, year two, year three, year four, year five in, we started to have success. And they were sort of like, huh, I wonder if the value that we've created would make sense to return to our shareholders. And so that process began. Um, I, initially, I wasn't convinced that that was the right step. But I said, well, it won't, it won't hurt to explore. We hired an investment bank. That's what you do. I didn't really know this. If you want to sell your house, you hire a realtor. If you want to sell a company, you hire these things called investment banks. Who knew? And they're basically like your real estate agent, and they help you. Who knew? Uh, And they helped us. So we ran what's called a process. So we got to meet with various interested parties, and they were very different. Uh, You know, you have your strategics, your financials, your financial buyers, your sponsors, your, you know, some impact funds. We had various groups. We would sit down with them. I did, like, 30 management presentations, which are uh, not my favorite thing to do in the world. Um, It's like a two-hour conversation with kind of Groundhog Day, where you explain what Blue Raven is over and over. And out of that process, we filtered it down to a few that we thought aligned with our values um, and would be good fits. And then then 
That was uh, December of 2020. And we narrowed it down to SunPower, which was uh, which is a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ, strong alignment, and they also um, you know, sell and install panels, but they also have some other things that are really interesting to me uh, at the time from a hardware perspective. They've got their own panels and batteries and all this kind of stuff that made sense for us. Um, come to find out, they're like, well, we have to file this paperwork to get it approved, but we're running late, give us two weeks, give us two weeks, give us two weeks. And so that, what was supposed to happen in the end of December ended up pushing January, February. And finally, there's that phone call that you get. You've, I can't tell you guys how much time you invest as a CEO to get a transaction across the finish line. And they said, hey, it's not gonna happen. Uh, we're really sorry. There's something we, there's some things we can't really tell you about. And, um, you know, that was hard. That was a hard day because we'd invested so much time and we told other folks who were really great that we were, we were not going to, you know, go with them. So I thought we were done. We put our head down. At the time, I hadn't, you know, I had kind of gotten distracted. Our, our executive team had gotten distracted a little bit. We're like, okay, let's put this behind us. We refocused. We doubled down again on our business. It felt kind of nice to get back into operating again as a team. And we forgot all about SunPower. Um, we could have pushed it forward with some others, but I think that was a lesson for me is um, you just have to be willing to walk away from anything in life. You just have to say, no, nah, that's, not, that's not quite right. Um, which is what we did. And I thought we were done. I thought we were going to have another, like, you know, three-year growth spurt, which would, be, which would have been fine. Turns out that SunPower was hiring a replacement CEO. His name is Peter Farisee. And I got a note from somebody that said, hey, the new CEO at SunPower, Peter Farisee, would like to have a conversation with you. So I jump on the phone, and he was like, hey, Ben, I know all about you. I know all about Blue Raven. And I'm really interested in picking up where we left off. And I was like, well, I'm not so sure about you now. You know, it's one of those, you dumped me. So he's like, I didn't. I didn't dump you. I'm new here. So we had uh, a series of conversations over a few months. And they're like, well, we can close really fast. Um, of course, life never works out that way. But by October, um, the transaction went through. And the thesis was, Blue Raven, you guys are doing great. We don't want to mess that up. So why don't we keep you as Blue Raven Solar? Why would, we, why would we get in the way of that? There's some things that you do really well. We would love to learn from your installation process, uh, your, your technology, your sales motion, your culture. Um, the way that you've structured some of your financial products is really interesting to us. And of course, your, just your growth rate. Um, we'd like to learn. And we said, well, we would love access to your panels, your financial products. Um, your expertise, capital to grow and scale, expand into new areas. And so we were really clear about, well, what were we going to combine? What were we going to leave alone? And that has been the journey the last nine months is staying true to that vision, borrowing from each other what is terrific and you know, synergistic, and then letting the rest be okay to kind of have some, some separation. And so um, that's what we've been working on since the, since the acquisition. Cool. I love those stories. Um, it's interesting that the human feelings of being dumped don't change, <laughs> whether it's 
uh, high school boyfriend or girlfriend. That's or right. Multi-million or dollar acquisition. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure you're aware through your life of like horror stories of mergers, right? Like, it's all going to be good. You guys are great. And then three days later, they come in and they're like, never mind on that. How has it gone for you guys, though? So if I were to shoot straight with anyone, I would say the way to, if you're being acquired, the way to preserve your culture, your mojo, you know, whatever you got going on, is to perform. That's what I would say. If it's a high-performing team and you're meeting your commitments, then you're going to be just fine. And fortunately, Blue Raven, and credit to the team, and credit to consumers for seeing the value and the tailwinds and the whole thing, but our company um, has been incredibly successful, both in the period leading up to the acquisition and then through and beyond and heading into the second quarter. Uh, demand is stronger than ever, and our fulfillment teams are doing great work, and I'm just so proud of them. So for that reason, um, you know, it's working great. So we don't, we don't need to get in there and mess stuff up. We do have um, a bunch of weekly calls where we share best practices and compare metrics and baseline against what's working there. Why is that metric so much better for you guys, SunPower? And at Blue Raven, we really struggle with that. Those have been really insightful conversations. I could give you guys examples of things that we were doing that we now no longer do or that we weren't that we now do as a result. Um, we also have access to uh, SunPower Financial um, kind of in-house capital and, you know, some other things that make this quite attractive from a, from a business point of view. Yeah. So the synergy and all of the weaving it, of it, weaving it in is working well so far. Yeah, it is. It, I, it is actually working really well. Um, and I look forward to, you know, what does the next year, year plus, two years look like? I'm sure there will be more overlapping. But I've been really clear that we want to do it really carefully. You, know, you don't want to rush that process um, or else you jeopardize what is great about both organizations. Yeah. And um, do you find that uh, you have more time to be innovative and put your head down or do you have to report back and uh, have these collaborative chats? He has it too much. Um, it depends on the team, like our finance organization they would be rolling their eyes. They're like, well, we have a lot of, you know, now we, now we have a public company, so we're like, you know, we've, they, they have a lot. So like the close, we used to have like a two-week close. Well, now it's like a three-day close. So because SunPower is majority owned by Total Energies, which is a French multinational company, so there's an even bigger fish you know, and so, yes, there's been some pain there, but we staffed up the team and helped. They would actually say, you know what, and I would say this too, a tighter close on our period financials has actually benefited the company. We were probably too relaxed about it because the private equity guys are just like, are you creating value? Okay, you good, right? So whereas this is like what, what happened in the last four weeks. It's really, really frankly, probably for our, for our benefit. Yeah, because you've got to do that because four times a year you've got to hop on a call with investors and yeah. give them an update, right? Yeah, the public company. And I give SunPower a lot of credit for not managing to the you know, quarter. Um, they've shifted their guidance to be annual guidance and focused on turning it into a growth company. This is a growth stock um, for the, because SunPower, because solar is so, as I mentioned earlier, it's not, it's, this is a growth opportunity. This is not a, 
not a stable, mature stock is the, you know, is the idea. So let's grow. So I really appreciate the direction there, and that's benefited us as well. Yeah. Um, did you guys use different like management methodologies? Like perhaps you guys used OKRs, and they used some other system. Totally. How did that work, and who won? <laughs> um, we used OKRs. They used smart goals. We just converted stuff to smart goals. OKRs are always kind of confusing because the O is kind of a smart goal anyway. So you just drop the KRs and you're good to go. It's kind of my, my two cents. So things like that are easy, but they've been gracious. Like, hey, do we have to get the smart goals in the like complicated thing, or can we just like do our own smart goal thing and then share them with you? Okay, you can do that, right? So like making that easy, I think, is so important. Which is why the relationship really matters because I can go and I can say, hey, there's five things I'd like us not to do. Can we please not do them? It's like, well, yeah, you can not do those four, but that one you really do need to do. Okay, that's a great relationship. That's a good partnership. Yeah, very good. Um, you guys are known for a few things, and uh, one that uh, stands out is like customer service. I assume that's a critical part of your industry. It's important for a lot of industries, but uh, it's a big commitment, right? Like, there is hardware going on your house. And, yeah. Um, a lot of unknowns. How do you guys stay ahead of, of the curve on relating to people and communicating with people? Yeah, I, um, I think it starts with culture. For example, I'll meet with all of our new employees. So we've got 2,000 sales representatives across the country and about 1,000 employees. Of the 1,000 employees, 500 are in Utah, corporate employees in our headquarters, where we do most of our... our of the 500, anyone who's new in batches of 12 to 18, I'll meet with them as early as possible and introduce them to the wild and crazy Blue Raven and our culture. And I get the opportunity to tell them, every single new corporate employee, you know, they hear it from me. And I say, guys, this is somebody's most expensive asset, the, the biggest thing they own. And we're putting the second biggest thing that they will own on the biggest thing that they'll own. How do you think they're going to care about, you know, do you think they mind how that process goes? Like, yeah, they're really going to care that that's a good, yeah, it's like, exactly. So how are we going to make sure that if we ever make a mistake, we make it, we make it right? And so reinforcing that, and then I may have mentioned this a year ago, but we invested in technology really early on. So for a startup, it was kind of crazy, but we used a third-party CRM. And then after about a year and a half, to said, this isn't working, and we built our CRM from scratch, which is totally crazy. I do not recommend this. But for us, it has been essential. So our CRM and having our own software developers and our own QA engineers and our, you know, our, just our whole systems team being able to rapidly implement the feedback from the operation is essential because the way it works with a third-party CRM is typically, you know, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Our product doesn't support that, or let us get back to you in six months to accommodate what you're trying to do. And we're just moving too fast, and customer experience matters too much to me that we, we had to have our, we had to own our, our whole kind of tech stack. So that was an early bet that I think is, is paying off these days for us. Yeah, I think that's uh, painful, but probably good advice for a lot of companies to follow that. It's scary. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, but it's better than using some CRM that it, doesn't fit. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it is better if you get it right. And uh, you've got to get the right engineers to build it. 
We're yeah. really, we have great engineers. Absolutely. And um, from the salesperson talking to the potential customer, them saying yes, what's the timeline for onboarding and installation, and uh, what do you guys do after the installation to like, keep the customers happy? I mean, it still takes um, several weeks to get through kind of the permitting process. And so we typically say it'll take uh, a couple, it might take a month or two to get the panels on your roof. And then you have to pass an inspection, then you have to close out the permit, and then you have to get permission from the utility company to operate it. They'll install a net meter, so then you have to coordinate with the utility company. So there's a fair bit of to do. Um, we stay in touch with them. Um, we're going back to customers and offering them batteries now since battery technology has come to a place where we think it's really, really attractive. So we reach out to them there. We check in with them about their production and make sure that their system is producing what we said it would. And we stay in touch. You know, if you were to find a business shortcoming, we do not have annual recurring revenue. So we're like a one-time sale. We're more like a, you know, we sell you a car and we expect that to last you for a long time. There's a lot of interesting ways of developing that relationship over time. And as we move into other adjacent products, around the home, that might make a bit more sense. But we're still, I mean, our demand for just the solar panels and the occasional battery is so strong that this is why the sun power, you know, it's starting to make sense to address the larger need here, which is more comprehensive. Yeah, and that's the second time you've brought up regulations and permitting and red tape. Ordinarily, when that happens, where there's an industry that has some money, they're going to take objection to that, and they might hire a lobbyist or two. Um, is there an overall like solar industry conglomerate that's like sick of that? Yeah, yeah, and there's progress being made. I don't want to be all doom and gloom. The Solar Energy Industry Association, SEIA, is there's a solar app which is designed to get AHJs, the authorities having jurisdiction, on the same apps for convenient processing of these things. There's there is progress being made. It's just not being made fast enough given the urgency that we have. It's just we're, we're still paying a lot of money here to get the project through, and then we have to pass those costs on to consumers, and we should just cut that out, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, I have one question, then we'll open it up to the audience. I believe we've got a microphone somewhere. If not, let's get that ready. Um, you mentioned earlier and last time as well, you're going to go where they ain't, right? Like, so Kentucky, Nebraska. Um, are there certain states that are easier to deal with, and do you factor that into your rollout? Yes. When we look at expansion, we've become more disciplined in evaluating all the criteria. What we find is that as long as there's some degree of net metering, and as long as the price of power is above nine, you know, eight cents a kilowatt hour, then solar is going to make sense for a lot of consumers in that area. Um, and so we'll check out demographics and we'll look at some other things. We'll find out what distribution exists there. One of the ways Blue Raven's different is we don't, we still don't have any warehouses. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, obsessive about what do you build, what do you buy. And so we have not built infrastructure to deliver our supply chain. That's a huge thing that we did early on that's really helped us. Um, 
And so, but we, so we have to figure out, well, do any partners exist in the area that can deliver the equipment to the homes? Because we, we have uh, partners that drop ship the equipment on the day of the installation. So we're a little bit different. But so we do all that due diligence. And yes, there are areas that, and there's some areas that we try and fail and then we'll try again a few years later. Nevada is like that for us. We tried Nevada. It di didn't work well for us. Um, there was some political stuff going on and some confusion. And anyway, we tried again and Nevada is one of our stronger states right now. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, I don't envy the person at your company, Blue Raven, that has to handle logistics. <laughs> there's many. Yeah, especially over the last couple of years because I'm sure there's been some ups and downs. Yeah, credit to the team, credit to the supply chain team as well for always, source supply chain right now is crazy. Supply chain is such a difficult, is such a, if you have anyone in supply chain right now, my heart goes out to you and yeah, it's really difficult, but um, pers we persevere, you get through it. Somehow it always kind of tends to work its, work its way through. Yeah, the few folks I know in the supply chain roles I've asked them, do you go on vacations? Yeah. Do you have fun on them? No. But it's good that you have more than one person. Problems. Yeah, because it's like, yeah. well, let me check my email 58 times a day. But It's a challenge. <laughs> it's a weird year. 2022 is a weird year as well. Yeah. Uh, and we're staring down a difficult back half of the year um, for, the, for the circumvention, you know, Commerce Department tariff investigation that I described. There's there's some storm clouds on the horizon around panels that, that are going to be challenging to manage through. Yeah, you guys, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, all right, open it up for questions there in the back, please. I'm with a homeowners association in, in Draper, and uh, we for the, we, we've been um, at this location for just a little over 20 years, and, and nothing really much has changed. But as uh, the climate is, is changing, uh, we, we're looking at ways that maybe we can um, think differently, uh, look at uh, drought retention, um, or drought, drought resistant, excuse me, uh, vegetation and such. But I've always uh, <clears throat> had an interest in panels for our association. We have 73 units. Um, I haven't seen them at other associations. Uh, we're, we're all homeowners. Um, and I'm wondering if there are government incentives uh, or if there are particular uh, uh, grants or programs that we could consider. We, we set aside money um, through our, our monthly dues, and so we, we've built up a nest egg uh, to sort of help us get started. But uh, just wondering if there's any uh, market for that with your organization. We will gladly take your nest egg and give you panels. No, I'm just kidding. That's, I actually love what you're saying. One of my criticisms of the way that most solar is uh, you know, bought and sold is that it's one by one. Here's an here's a HOA with 70 homes. Wouldn't it be great if all 70 or you know, 53 who opted in could go with the same provider and do this more efficiently? You would get a better price. We, we would find it more convenient. Our cost would be lower. Um, you know, you take that HOA example and you start to think about that on a community level or utility by utility or even in a state level. And that's actually, I mean, if you want, that's actually where I get most excited. We're kind of doing it one, one off, one at a time. Uh, we spend an extraordinary amount of money acquiring customers because we do it one, one by one. And so the short answer to your question is I'm not aware of any kind of incentive that you might 
tap into. I do know that Rocky Mountain Power, if that's indeed who you get your power from, does have some interesting incentives. They would actually be, they might be great um, to talk to, but like typically you find the solar company and the utility company and the homeowner are like in a three-way battle, and I'm just so tired of that. Why can't, why can't these three groups come together and say, it's better for the utility company to produce and consume at these times of day this is better for the environment. Homeowner can say, I'd like to save money. And the solar company, can, we can you know, help. We can be in the middle and do, help uh, transition you. There's, that conversation is not happening across America. So we'll start with your HOA, with the 73 homes. But that's where we have to be better. I had a couple questions, but I'll just start with the one that I'm more interested in. Are there any... Um upcoming solar or battery technologies that you're particularly interested in or excited about? Yes. Let me give a short answer. For panels, there's some really exciting things uh, happening around thin film technology. There are insights from utility scale projects that are winding their way down to residential products in terms of density, um, the, the, how the panel looks, and what it produces. So wattages into the 400, 425, 450 watts per panel, which is incredible. When I started, it was like 175 watts per panel. So just extraordinary. Um, but, and then in terms of inverters, there's some amazing technology now where um, inverters with a, what's called an automatic transfer switch, ATS, can be what's called grid agnostic. Sorry for the jargon. But what that means is that when the grid goes down, you can just flip a lever and then you'll just be able to power your home. There's some really interesting inverter technologies combined with a storage or even not storage in the case of um, some products out there where you can, you can literally be in a neighborhood connected to the grid and you never have to worry that you're going to be without power because you've got panels on the roof and they're going to they're gonna, you know, deliver power for you. That it's interesting, most people who go solar don't really realize that maybe their system won't do that. And um, you can retrofit it and turn it into that, but now kind of off the shelf, that's becoming more and more available uh, to consumers. So I think those are pretty exciting. And then batteries just continue to get better. Most of the batteries today are what are called partial home backup. Most people don't even understand that. They think they're getting whole home backup, but then in the event that they need it, they're like, why is the, you know, I can't run my refrigerator, so there's some confusion. But whole home backup, really you can run your home in the event of a power down situation, is becoming more and more uh, of, a, of a reality. Um, there's a Sun Vault, which is Sun Power's 2.0 battery coming out in 2023 that can handle 30 amp breakers and do some really, really awesome stuff to, to handle all those loads. So I could geek out for a long time, but this is also, I hate to say this because it's like, I've been saying this for the last seven years. It's like, yes, there's a new products are coming out. And so it's like, well, early adopters, late majority, when do I really want to make the plunge? And the reality is that you could, you know, every year you don't go solar, you're, you're missing out on savings. Um, and the, the technology, I mean, panels, efficiency, you know, you're not, we're sort of in the 22% efficiency range and that, that hasn't really been improving for a long time. So from a panel perspective, you're, you're, you know, you're not going to see tremendous change over the next five years. So Ben, I'm, I'm curious, we're seeing more and more onshoring of manufacturing. Are we seeing that also with panels and with batteries? Uh, I am aware of a couple of major 
initiatives to do that as I reflect on our, our manufacturers. But no, we still get by far and away the vast majority of our equipment from plants in Mexico or in uh, countries like the Philippines or other countries in uh, East Asia that are not in the crosshairs. So that may change if these tariffs are doing what the policymakers of the Commerce Department, you know, if that's what is the intended effect, we may see more of that. But to me, that would be kind of a shame because there's 250, solar is the fastest growing kind of sector for jobs. I think there's 250,000 uh, people in the, in the solar industry right now. And again, as I mentioned, for every 35 cents that would go elsewhere, $2.30 per watt goes to American workers. So I'm sort of like not a huge fan of, of tariffs for that reason. So I hope actually that the manufacturing can be done elsewhere so that we can focus on service and innovation and the delivery of those systems across 96 more million more homes. <laughs> well, I, I'm very impressed, and and I, you know, don't mean to get in geopolitics, but me neither. I, I'm sorry. I, I see I see a lot of wisdom to what you're saying um, with regard to uh, some of these underdeveloped countries, because we see that migration coming here because they 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 don't have the jobs or the stabil economic stability in their own countries, um, <clears throat> and and I get nervous when we we're giving so much business to communist countries. Like, like China, again, I don't really mean to get heavy into the geopolitics, but it, it almost is a disservice to us because then we run into these uh, supply chain, uh, chain issues or, or maybe other, you know, um, uh, uh, so, sort of uh, leveraging on those governments' uh, part. So uh, I think you're going the right direction, and I would encourage you to continue thinking along those lines. Thank you. Um, so Blue Raven, is it... Are you just looking at solar, or are you looking to expand throughout different types of renewable energy? For instance, I am very interested in algae and also waste, and I'm, I love that we're able to turn it into energy. Everything is energy, but we fail to recognize it, but you guys are here at the forefront. Like you said, the second you know, most expensive thing is on top of their house, but what about their food? I love it. When you're building a company, you can only do one or two things really well. And I wish that weren't the case. Maybe once you, once you reach a billion dollars or 10 billion in revenue, you could, that, can, that no longer has to be the case. But at our size and scale, uh, algae and food, and there's all kinds of, you know, all kinds of ways to, to benefit humanity in, a, in sus sustainability. And I'm just, we're just the, the renewable energy guys right now. Um, we are expanding into adjacencies around the electricity ecosystem for the home. But as you contemplate what are you good at, you're gonna, you're gonna wanna kind of have the shortest distance between what you know and what the next thing is. And algae you know, may not be on my top 90 things I know anything about. So it might be farther down on my list or our list. Yeah, but that's a good goal, you know, get that $10 billion in revenue and then yeah. you can branch out. Yeah, exactly. And 10 years from now, we could be talking algae. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk algae in 10 years. <laughs> well, this has been fun. Um, you want to watch people freak out, you take away their power and energy. And uh, you see it happen all over the world, whether they're shooting wars or calamities or pandemics. So um, what you guys and the entire industry are doing as a whole is, is very important and... Uh, it's great that you guys are here in Silicon Slopes and really appreciate you taking the time to be here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Garrett.